This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. I've been studying the Bible for a good while. I chose to make a vocation out of this when God called me into ministry. But I was raised in the church. I was raised with the Bible. I was taught it from a very young age. I probably drooled on a Bible. I learned to pat the Bible. For those of you that have ever taught in the, in the, in the, in the, the smallest class, we teach them, pat the Bible. They, I, I knew that the Bible told me so, that Jesus loved me, before I knew what that meant and before I could read it. I was a Bible Bowl all-star. I was a buzzsaw, man. People hated playing our church because they knew what was waiting on. They knew that Bill Yasko's grandson, he was a preacher. They knew that Gary Hill's son, he was a preacher. They knew that David Yasko's uncle, he was a preacher, was coming for him. Come Bible Bowl day. I went to school and and I thought I was going to be a history professor and so I got my undergraduate degree in history. But somewhere along my senior year, the Lord called me into ministry and so I began to preach. And then I knew I wanted to go and get my my master's degree in Bible and biblical studies. And then I said, I want to go ahead and get my master's of divinity and keep going. So I did that. And then I said, I'm tired of not being in school. So I want to keep, I I don't want to not be in school because then I got to pay back the loans. So I'm just going to keep going. And, And I said, let me go get this doctorate degree. I ran out of school and so now I'm paying back those loans. But all that to say, I've been studying the Bible for a long time. Personally, furthering my education, preaching now for 25 years. I've I've been studying this book for a long time, and I can tell you with a pretty informed opinion that the first three chapters of Genesis are some of the most theologically rich and important verses in Scripture. And we ignore them to our detriment, church. So I want to read a passage that we're going to read several Sundays in a row as we have this series called Created For. We start a series today. And, and, and I want to read to you Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 and 28. And so I'm going to ask you, it's our tradition to reverence the Word of God. And so if if you can and you are able and willing, please stand while we read together from God's Word. From Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that then God said... 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Heavenly Father, you are the God of life. None of us would be here if it were not for you. God, we pray that we can learn from you what you have put us here for. Because we are not an accident. God, you have made us and you have made us for a purpose. And I pray that we can honor you. Speak today, Father, your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So within the song and story of creation, we come to learn that God made everything. Okay, that's my summary of Genesis 1. God made everything. By the time we get to Genesis 3, we find out that everything is no longer the way God made it. That sin has entered the picture and it has changed creation. But before we learn about sin, we learn about the God of life making everything that lives. And in the first three days of creation, God forms the contexts. Day and night, sky and sea, the land and all of its plants and trees. And then in the next four days, God fills all of those contexts so the day and night are filled with the sun and moon. The sky and the sea are filled with birds and fish in day five. Day six, the land and the trees are filled with animals and livestock and humans. Which alone out of all creation are made in God's image. Something about humanity sets us apart from the rest of creation. Now, all of creation has been made with a purpose. But we have a special purpose as God's imagers. We were created for bearing the image of God. I tell you often that God loves us and chooses us, but sometimes we can be our worst enemies. Sometimes in our busyness, or maybe in our self-criticism, or maybe in our pain, or maybe even in our sin, we lose sight of our purpose. Fyodor Dostoevsky in his classic The Brothers Karamazov says, The mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. And over the next few weeks, we're going to study the purpose that God has for us. You may not be aware of this, but, but, but according to the Bible, we were created for influence. We were created for rest, for work, for trust, 
for intimacy and for vulnerability. And today we're going to begin by looking at what it means to be made in the image of God. We were made to bear the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make humans in our own image. Now I'm going to tell you that us and our have intrigued, I'll use that word, intrigued biblical scholars for a long time, centuries, millennia. The students of Scripture have looked into Genesis 1 and said, what in the world is this plural language, us and our? Because at this point in Scripture, which it's pretty early, we've not heard about an our or an us. We've only got God. Now some have argued that there is in mind a divine court that God is consulting as God creates. And so maybe surrounding Yahweh is all of, are all of the angels and other heavenly beings. And, and, and God says, well, how about we make humans in our image? That's possible. And maybe, to be honest, it's, it's the simplest reading. But it does speak well beyond where the Bible speaks. We don't hear a lot about a divine court where God seems to be bouncing ideas about creation off of other folks. Some people have said, no, it's a linguistic device. It's the royal we. And so like rulers and kings and queens may speak of we. And I know on Bridgerton they do this. And so maybe that's true, right? That's, that's got to be right. Um, if Bridgerton says it, it's pretty true. Uh, and, and so I don't know if Downtown Abbey does it. <clears throat> that's for Dan. Uh, that just made some people just really upset, right? I know it's, I know it's Downtown Abbey, but I'm not going to say it like that because it upsets you when we say Downtown Abbey. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so uh, I'm sure that there's the royal we... And here's the deal, that's fine, and can you say it can emphasize God's authority. The, the, the only problem with that is that nowhere else in ancient Jewish literature do they really use the royal we. Like it's not something they did a whole lot. And so it would be sort of an anomaly, culturally speaking, which is usually not good in terms of finding authoritative arguments. Now, the easy Christian answer is to claim that it's the Trinity. However, for those Jews who were writing this and reading this, living hundreds of years before Jesus, what were they to make of that? <coughs> now, in the, you say, Adam, in the fuller revelation of time, as time helps reveal the fullest meaning in Scripture, and, and, and you can see it, right? And I say, yes, I can. As a matter of fact, I think that John especially sees Christ at work in creation when he writes in the first chapter of his gospel that nothing was made that wasn't made through the Word. That as God speaks, that's the Word of God. That is Christ present in creation. That, that, that Paul makes similar claims in Colossians 1, 15, describing Christ as Lord of creation. 
that, that there, was, there was nothing made that wasn't made through him. So personally, I can affirm that view. I read this as an evidence of Trinity. But I understand that there is a challenge there. But that's not where it stops. We've looked at the words us and our. Now look at let us make humans in our image. Image is an important thing in the ancient Near East. You see, many kings and rulers would pronounce themselves extensions of the authority of God. We saw that, for instance, if you look at the Exodus story, you see that that Pharaoh is claiming to be God's presence on earth. Do you know what word these rulers and authorities would use to describe themselves as the the personification of God's power on earth? They would say, I am the image of God. That that was a common practice in the ancient world that your leader or king or ruler would declare themselves to be the image of God on earth. They would even build statues of divine creatures and beings. And guess whose faces they would put on them? Their own. Why? Because they're the image of God. Okay, further about image. The second command that God gives is what? Ooh, that, that's a tough trivia question. Preacher, come on now. Just, you tell us, you know. You got it in your notes. Okay, first command, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Second command, you shall not make for yourselves any graven idols or images. God forbids the making of images of God. Well, on the one hand, this makes sense. Because God knows that we are likely to worship the image rather than the real thing. We like shiny visible things like golden calves. But more than that... And I I, I need you to hear me now. We're going to go a little deeper. More than that, people should not make images of God because God has already made images of God's self. I'm going to say it again. People should not make images of God because God has already made images of God's self. Read verse 27 again. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God has already made things in God's image. We don't need to make graven images. We are God's images. Psalm 8.4 asks, what is humankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Now in the modern perspective, and this is interesting, people are both nothing, we're simply evolved apes, an accident of the universe, we're what happens when two substances collide that gets really lucky. 
We are both nothing and gods. You say, Adam, how can you say we're both nothing and gods in the modern secular perspective? Well, okay, I'm going to tell you, we're nothing because we think that we're simply an accident, but then we think that we're gods, which can be attested to by individual and corporate self-absorption. We act like this world revolves around us and for our pleasure. There is no power higher than us. We made it to the top of the food chain and we're here to stay as long as we can, baby. Even those who would call us to be our best selves from the secular point of view do so out of some kind of enlightened self-interest. It's better for us in the long run to be kind. It's better for us in the long run to be healthy, happy people. Church, we can do no greater damage to humanity than to rob it of its purposeful existence, which is directly connected to being created in the image of God. And so I want to tell you three things about the image of God today, and then the lesson will be yours. First, here's what I want to say. I want to say that being made in the image of God confers on us dignity. Being made in the image of God entrusts us with responsibility. And being made in the, God, in the image of God implants within us a capacity to mirror our Creator. So if I, were, if I were to ask you to remember three words, it would be dignity, responsibility, and capacity. The image of God confers on us dignity. You see, good anthropology, teacher, here we go. Good anthropology, good, good understandings of who we are start with a good understanding of who God is. All right, God is worthy of worship, amen? amen? And God is great, amen? And God is good, amen? And God is worthy, amen? Excellent. So when we speak of dignity, we're talking about worth and value and being made in the image of God who is worthy, who is good, who is great. That gives humans, as his image, worth, greatness, goodness, value, dignity. It is the absolute ground for why we believe in the sanctity of human life at every age. And one of the biggest lies that Satan tells us is that our dignity, our value, and our worth derives from some kind of connection to our performance or our production. And that is a lie. It is not about what you produce. It is not about what you are capable of performing that gives you value. I can tell you there's a couple of systems that will tell you that. Socialism will tell you that. You are what you can produce. You know what else will tell you that? Capitalism. Do I got everyone yet? All right. You are not what you create and produce. You are made in the image of God and that gives you your value. 
God as our creator is the only one who can determine our worth and our value. God gives us dignity as people. And God has given each person, each culture, all of creation. God has even given his church incredible value and dignity. Because we belong to God, we have a responsibility to see the dignity in people, the dignity in the church, and the dignity in the world. And human dignity impacts how we treat other people. Since all people are made in the image of God, all deserve to be treated with the dignity that the image of God affords. This affects how we view and respond to human needs around us. Those who are sick, those who are imprisoned, bereaved, poverty-stricken, defenseless, shamed, marginalized. As Christians, we must seek to shape the society around us in ways that always preserve human dignity. We have a divinely designed dignity. Is that enough alliteration to make it stick? Neither race nor class nor culture should ever cause us to demean the dignity of another person. Racism, classism, ethnocentrism, jingoism, all the isms in Christ need to become wasms real fast. Second, the image of God entrusts us with responsibility. Responsibility impacts how we function in the world. If you look at Genesis 1.26, humanity is created in God's image for the purpose of ruling. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and wild animals and over all the creatures. We've been given the image so that we can rule. The divine image conveys authority, entrusting us with the responsibility to subdue and rule creation. Now some people have taken a very human-centered view based on that. And what they say is, after all, we're the only part of creation made in God's image. That means we're on top, and that gives us the authority to use the world however we want to, to our own ends and purposes. Others, perhaps seeing the abuses of that view, that trash our planet to serve our own hungry appetites, respond by swinging the pendulum the other direction and have a very nature-centered view of creation, that nature should be treated with reverence to the point of almost viewing human advancement as the enemy of God's nature. Now what this view may get right is that nature was not made for us in the end. But what it seems to miss is that everything that was made was made for God. You see, we need a God-centered view of creation that understands our role as stewards on earth, not as owners of the earth. When Kelly and I and Cooper go out of town on vacation. We usually call around, we find someone, a lot of times it's one of the college students that I, that I talk to and work with and teach, but we find someone who will stay at our house. And they have some responsibilities given to them. We need you to make sure and keep the pets alive. We love them. We want them to make it. You know, make sure that people don't break into the house. Get the mail. 
you know, any shipments that may come in from Amazon, you, you make sure you get those off the porch in a timely manner so my neighbor Pete doesn't text me and say, you have a box on your porch again. Yes, sir, I do. Are you going to get it? Not right now. I'm at work. It'll have to sit there. Well, I'll move it. No, thank you. I appreciate your concern. It'll be all right. Well, I don't want someone to come get it. You're doing that. All right. So we, we, we ask someone to come and watch our house, right? We say, come in and, and, and you know what? Make yourself at home. You can use one of the beds in our house. We got a guest room for it. And you can, use, you can use our couch. Here's our TV. Here's all the different subscriptions we have so that you can watch whatever you want. And, and as a matter of fact, there's food in the pantry that'll go to waste and food in the fridge that'll go to waste if you don't have some of it. So go ahead, help yourself, feel at home. Just make sure that everything's all right in our house. And they say, sounds great. And if we come back, get the deal. I want to I wanna make this real clear. I didn't give them my house. That's still my house. Right? I've asked them to take care of it. I've asked them to rule over it and govern the things that are going on. I've asked them to bless the things that are living there so that they stay alive. I've asked them to go ahead and partake of some of the bounty that we have so that they can be provided for. But it's not their house. You see where I'm coming from? It's my house still. Now, if I get home and my pets are not alive, I'm going to be upset. Not, now, that's the worst case scenario. If I get home and I find out that they didn't eat the food in the fridge or the pantry, I'm going to be like, oh, man, what a waste. You could, you could have had that. Someone could have had that. They could have been blessed by that. That's a waste. You see, it's a matter of stewardship, not a matter of ownership. You see, here's the point. Original creation was good. God says it over and over, it's good. As a matter of fact, God says it's very good. But original creation was incomplete. Let me unpack what I mean by that. That creation is a project that is going somewhere. And humans are made at the heart of the project in order to take it there. Humans are made to help complete the process of creation. That we take part in God's creative activity in this world to help the world become what it is meant to be. So we have, and here's a big technical term, we have a vocation. Okay, that's from the Latin word vox, which, from which we get our word voice or call, to call. So it's a calling, a vocation. Not simply an occupation, a vocation. The, the, the image of God gives us a responsibility that gives us a vocation, a calling. To, as those created to bear God's image, when we bear the image of God, there's two responsibilities that come from that. One is we help the world worship. When they encounter God, they will offer worship. We help the world worship. That we're light. Let your light shine so that all people will see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. We help the world worship because we bear the divine image. Second thing we do is we help to steward uh, the love and the purpose of God in the world. We are stewards of the love and the purpose of God throughout the world. The third thing I want to say 
Candy, I want to tell you that the image of God implants within us a capacity to mirror our Creator. We've not only been given a vocation to image God, we've been given the capacity, the capability to carry it out. You see, capacity is the power or the ability to do, experience, or understand something. And our capacity to mirror our Creator informs us as to who made us. It draws us more deeply to know the one that made us and more richly image that Creator to the world around us. Our aspiration is to be like our Creator. And in that goal we find our purpose. And so when we talk about ruling in this world, we rule by of all things, if you look at the scripture, gardening. By cultivating and growing all of creation's potential for God's glory. And this takes place in our everyday life. It happens in our homes. It happens at our jobs. It happens in our schools and our classes. It happens in our friendships and relationships. It happens every day. You see, in Genesis, God gives humans a choice of how we're going to rule. Will we rule for the benefit of others and to the glory of God, or will we rule for ourselves and our own gain? Ultimately, Adam and Eve make the mistake and they choose to rule for themselves. What will we choose? The good news is that Jesus shows us what it looks like to truly rule as a human in Jesus. We, we, God shows us what it looks like for humanity to rule. It looks like Jesus. Jesus rules by serving. Jesus rules by loving even his enemies. Jesus rules by giving himself away. And here's why I point you to that. Because Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus teaches us a new way to be human. In Christ we have the capacity to move forward in God's kingdom, exploring new ways to live in light of Christ. Kenny, I want you to bring your team up. Thomas Merton said this, and I know this is a, a little bit of a, a chunk of a quote, but I, I want you to hear it. He says, sooner or later, we must distinguish between what we are not and what we are. We must accept the fact that we are not what we would like to be. We must cast off our false exterior self like the cheap and showy garment that it is. We must find our real self in all its elemental poverty, but also in its great and very simple dignity, created to be the child of God, capable of loving with something of God's own sincerity and unselfishness. Today I want you to hear the gospel, church. You cannot change your self-worth because your self-worth is not based in doing. Your self-worth is based in being. And you are made in the image of God. 
You are a child of God. And you are nobility because your father is a king. Now most of us are pretty terrible at receiving compliments. So if it helps, this is not a compliment. This is a fact. You are God's child. And you are worthy of love. And you are created for image bearing so that you can share this good news with others. Amen? Amen. If you don't know Jesus yet, you are missing out. You are missing out on the purpose that God created you for. You can bear God's image and Jesus is the image of God. And if you have Jesus with you and inside you, then you beam the image of God. We are transformed from glory to glory because of Christ. If you haven't given yourself to Him, I invite you to do that today. We'll baptize you into Christ today. Be born again. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. If you want to respond, we encourage you to do that. I'll be right here. Come, meet Christ. Find out what you were created for. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.